0: at book events. Sometimes it's not about how many books you sell, but how many writer friends you make. Hello everyone, and welcome to season four, episode 35 of the Real Spies Real Lives podcast. This is where we talk about writing spies and writing about spies. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Dungan. So the Creatures Crimes and Creativity C3 con I attended this past weekend, a fantastic weekend. I'm a person who craves being with other people. And when those other people are other writers, more's the better. At C3, you can find yourself commiserating with other writers, getting advice from other writers, giving advice as well, and rubbing elbows with some of the most well-known and well-recognized writers in your genre or others. You know, the ones perennially on all the bestseller lists, and they actually make time for you. I moderated one panel and was a panelist on another. Now, the panel I moderated had Jeffrey Deaver as a panelist. Yes, that Jeff Deaver. He of the dozens of bestselling crime novels, most featuring Lincoln Rhymes as a paraplegic detective, Deaver was gracious and an excellent panelist. I could have just sat back and let him talk for the whole 45 minutes, but he was the one to make sure the other panelists got their time in. He was also one of the keynote speakers at the conference. You know, when you see a writer who has had remarkable success, become a well-known celebrity even, You tend to forget that parts of writer's journeys to publication are remarkably similar. Multiple rejections, publication, more rejections, publications, etc. His experience, relayed with hilarious self-deprecation, was really inspirational. Then came the panel where I was a panelist. The panel had to do with including fight scenes in your work so let me describe this panel to you from my left to my right retired cop 40 year plus stuntman in hollywood me retired cop special forces guy everyone except me and the moderator also a woman a big hulking guy. kind of guy you'd want to have on your side if you were to ever get in a fight. So when it was my turn to introduce myself, I said to the audience, I know what you're thinking. Why on earth is she here? That broke the ice, as did my comment that though I'm not much of a fighter, I'm half Irish, so the potential is there. But it was a great discussion with real world techniques described and i actually contributed based on the few fight scenes i've written in my books which i research by going to youtube youtube videos are a marvel sometime so i actually sounded as if i knew what i was talking about and i have to give a shout out to those two cops the stuntman and the special forces guy I came to the panel with my own biases, which come from past experiences in the workplace. I expected to be interrupted, talked over, my comments reinterpreted by one or more of them. Didn't happen a single time, not once. A pleasant and heartwarming surprise, and I thank them all for that afterward. The Special Forces guy said, man, I hate it when men do that to women. There is hope. But my favorite intervals at C3 were the meals where you sat at a table of writers, most of whom you didn't know, and you simply talked writing, regardless of genre, regardless of experience level. At one dinner, we all discussed how we could have written sharknado better that was great fun and lots of laughs i sold only one book but in a way that wasn't the point it was the camaraderie the shared experiences the laughs the learning from others who are like you writers now c3 is not the cheapest event for me It's a long drive at an expensive hotel, but sometimes you don't and shouldn't put a price on being with the family you make. So, to quote the Terminator, I'll be back next year. As promised, I watched the first two episodes of Spy Ops a new limited series on Netflix about specific counterterrorism operations. Logically, since its debut was so close to the 22nd anniversary of 9-11, the first episode was about Operation Jawbreaker. By September 14, 2001, a 10-man CIA team with, quote, every weapon known to man, unquote, and $3 million, was on its way to Afghanistan. The mission? Get the Northern Alliance warlords in line, hence the three million, and find Osama bin Laden, hence the every weapon known to man. That first goal might have been more important than the second. Two days before 9-11, the leader of the Northern Alliance, Ahmad Shah Massoud, had been assassinated by a suicide bomber masquerading as a reporter. Massoud had not only gathered numerous tribes and different ethnic groups around him and against the Taliban. He was the one who confirmed the Taliban Al Qaeda connection to the world, likely why he was murdered. After his death, the Northern Alliance gave signs of falling into disarray, and the U.S. knew they'd need the Northern Alliance whole on their side once U.S. troops invaded Afghanistan. That $3 million helped with that. That U.S. Northern Alliance, alliance, of course, was a key factor in pushing the Taliban out of power, in Al-Qaeda retreating, and in bin Laden fleeing to Pakistan. That second goal, capturing bin Laden, wasn't as successful. Indeed, it wasn't until a decade later under a different president that the CIA succeeded in eliminating bin Laden. However, this episode was very interesting in the fact that several members of the Operation Jawbreaker team were interviewed under their real names. Pretty remarkable decision because terrorists tend to have long memories, but the team member's insight on the operation was fascinating. I felt that that first episode sort of rushed to the ending by pointing out that only days after the U.S. pulled entirely out of Afghanistan, the Taliban were back in power. That was a 20-year war, the longest in U.S. history. And the rushed ending of episode one, I don't think acknowledged that or explained that very well. The second episode was about Operation Just Cause and the invasion of Panama to oust Manuel Noriega. This was a tighter, more intense episode We got some background on noriega and again there were interviews with the u.s military and cia personnel involved i'd forgotten that noriega whom the u.s had indicted for his part in the south american drug trade took refuge in the vatican consulate in panama and wouldn't come out as news of this got out hundreds of panamanians surrounded the consulate behind hastily thrown up fences by the US Army, and said if he didn't come out, they'd come in and get him. Now the CIA came at him in an interesting way. Noriega was apparently very much in love with his mistress named Victoria in this episode. So a CIA employee, allegedly named Martha Duncan, I'd like to think we were related, spent days working on her woman to woman, and finally convinced Victoria to talk Noriega into coming out of the consulate and surrendering. With Duncan prompting Victoria, she got him to agree to surrender to a specific U.S. general who was interviewed in the episode. Duncan also had the idea of giving Noriega his general's uniform. Noriega was extremely proud of his military service and she thought he'd be more likely to surrender in uniform to another man in uniform than in civvies. Also, someone in the consulate worked on Noriega as well, reminding him that if the people outside broke down the fence and stormed the consulate, they'd Mussolini him. Noriega ended up being taken into custody by the US DEA was tried, sentenced to prison, later extradited to France for a trial there, and then was released on compassionate grounds because he was dying of cancer. This was a good, fact-packed, and action-packed episode where you'll learn some things about that invasion you might not have known, or like me, that you forgot. So, so far, Spy Ops looks good. It's on Netflix Give it a try, and I'd love to know what you think about it. And now, it's commercial time! I know I haven't mentioned the September sales book yet, but now I will. The three novels in the trilogy, Self-Inflicted Wounds, Welcome to Belgrade, Dangerous Truths, and Justice for All, are on sale. The e-books, that is, all this month, for only 99 cents each. You won't even get three items from the dollar store for under three dollars, will you? The reader magnet for the trilogy, Dateline Belgrade, is also on sale for 99 cents. This is a novella sized collection of news stories I wrote for the specific purpose of giving context to the story in Self Inflicted Wounds. They're not real news stories in that they were never published by any news service, but I never intended them to be. They're also not fake news because they are based on real events. And starting next Wednesday, September 20th, all four books will be free until September 24th to celebrate Mabon, the autumnal equinox, in other words, fall or autumn stay tuned in the meantime i'll put the link for the sale in the description of this episode and commercial over all right now i'll talk about this week book two of the self-inflicted wounds trilogy dangerous truths indeed when you live in an autocracy a dictatorship Truth is dangerous. An autocrat, a dictator, doesn't want the populace to know the truth, because if they did, they'd kick him out. It's not only Mai and Alexei who know some dangerous truths about the series of political murders in Yugoslavia. Some possible victims do too, which is why they're on a hit list. Sometimes those potential victims don't want to face the truth. Others might be in outright denial, but some have decided they don't want to be the next victim, which works to Mai's and Alexei's advantage. The first book in the series, Welcome to Belgrade, ends on probably the biggest cliffhanger I've ever written. All evidence points to the fact that Alexei was severely wounded in hand-to-hand combat with a Russian mercenary and has fallen to his death in the Danube. Oh, I got messages, lots of them, about how awful I was to kill Alexei. Luckily, this trilogy was my flash publishing experiment and those message senders only had to wait a month for the answer, and I made sure that came early on in Dangerous Truths. So let me set up this reading. In Welcome to Belgrade, Mai and Alexei get a clue about a gentleman's club called White Knights, run by a different minor Russian mafia boss. So Alexei, using the cover name Sergei Nevansky, infiltrates the club. He needs to cultivate an asset on the inside, so he pays particular attention to one of the topless waitress dancers going so far as to buy a lap dance from her. Of course he does. This is Alexei. Dangerous Truths Chapter 1 Too Many Questions Belgrade, Yugoslavia 2000. Piotr had sent everyone home early. The Belgrade police staking out the place had put a damper on business, and Piotr wasn't about to pay the girls when customers weren't present. That wasn't the only reason Irina Pishkatova was glad to leave work. Hearing that Nevansky was missing had buzzed about in her head for the rest of the evening and distracted her the following day. Her tips had dwindled to nothing. Why his fate bothered her, she didn't know. She did not have feelings for him. Well, that was not true. She liked him because he had not treated her like a slut, and she had come to look forward to his visits. He had watched her without lust, Oh, perhaps a little, but he had not behaved like most of the jerks who came to White Nights for drinks and fucking. She mentally kicked herself for even thinking about him. He was married. He had told her his wife did not like for him to have anything on the side. He was a dead end. Thinking the word dead in connection with him made her uncomfortable, and she walked faster, heading for the flat Piotr let her have. She reached the top of the stairs, leading down to her basement quartiera. Yum, she muttered. The light above her door was out again. It was out so often she suspected her neighbors switched their dead bulbs for hers. Why buy overpriced light bulbs from the corner mafia market when you could steal ones from a whore? And if she went to the building manager to request a replacement, he would want sex in exchange for it. No, she simply went to the market and bought a new supply. She stood at the top of the stairs, the moon's weak light not enough to penetrate the stygian darkness. Her bed called to her loud enough to overcome her caution, and she fumbled in her backpack for a pen light she always carried. Its feeble beam showed her nothing amiss, though the shadows were too dark and could hide any number of bad things. You are being silly and superstitious, she told herself and started down the stairs. Of course, every scary story her grandmother had used to frighten her went through her head. The shadows took on monstrous shapes and when her feet finally touched the landing, she sighed in relief. But it smelled down here. Something raw, coppery. Wonderful. Not only were they stealing her light bulbs, they were pissing here now. When she shined the penlight on her lock, she saw a dark smear of something on the doorknob. Oh, je moi, she thought. Do not let it be shit. She slipped the key in the lock. Irina. The whispered word behind her made her jump and squeal. She pressed her back against the door and shined the pin light into the alcove beneath the staircase leading up to the first floor. A man sat there. She opened her mouth to scream, No, wait, there was something familiar. She stepped closer, putting the beam of the penlight on the man's face. moi, it is you. His voice was so soft, she could barely hear him. Sorry, only place could think of. That made no sense. He'd never been here. She shined the penlight around him. His shirt was dark with blood, his hands caked with it. Small pools of it stained the concrete on the landing. Bonjour, moi she said again. How long have you been here? Dunno. Hours, maybe? Inside. What? Inside. "'Did those Russians do this?' she asked. "'His head jerked in what she assumed was a nod. "'The policeman's card was in her backpack. "'No, the police would think she'd hurt him. "'If the Russians had followed him, "'they would punish her for helping him. "'No, no,' she said, straightening. "'You have to leave. "'You are not my problem.' "'Die here, then,' he said. Whether he died inside her flat or outside it, he would be her problem after all. Yub, she muttered again and unlocked her door. She tossed her backpack inside, a hand reaching for the lights. No, no need for anyone peeking outside to see what was going on. Irina went to his side. Can you stand? Not on, on? Well, you will have to get to your feet somehow. I can't pick you up. He closed his eyes. Another nod. We'll try. Tears of anger and apprehension welled. There wasn't much life left in him. Damn you, she murmured. Why did you come here? I had your card. This is not what I had in mind when I gave you that. Figured. Help. Stand. Irina draped his arm around her shoulders and wrapped her arm around his waist, grasping his belt. All right, banker from Kiev, if that's who you really are. On three. One, Tri She grunted, pushing upward with legs strengthened by countless lap dances. Her knees buckled from his almost dead weight, but he half stumbled while she half dragged him into the flat. She steered them toward the bath and got him in there in time for his legs to give out. Lowering him to the floor, she propped him against the tub. She ran back to the door, shut and locked it, and turned on the inside lights. Only a few drops of blood on the floor easily cleaned. What was on the landing concerned her, but it could wait. Irina rushed back to the bathroom and switched on the light. The man was so bloodless, she gasped. How had he lived after losing so much blood? From the bottom of her linen cupboard, she took the well-stocked medical kit she'd smuggled out of Russia and hidden from Pyotr. As a pharmacist, she knew first aid, but she believed this man was beyond any help she could give him. She knelt on the floor beside him, a hand on his gray, clammy face. With surgical scissors from her kit, she cut away his shirt. When she saw the wound partially closed with clotted blood she gasped again he didn't lift his drooping head but said bad i know sorry you need a doctor no doctor too many questions you stitch yes but not well antibiotic coagulant yes Give antibiotic, coagulant, stitch best you can, bandage, sleep until I can think. Sleep. If he slept, he wouldn't be waking up. I will do what I can, she said. He stayed silent while she worked, and the only way she knew he still lived was his ragged breathing. After cleaning and disinfecting his wound, how could he not scream from that? She pulled the edges of the wound together and stitched. Her sutures so large, they'd be mistaken for an autopsy closing. She gave him a shot of penicillin, slathered the gash with an antibiotic salve, and taped a thick swath of gauze in place to cover it. She sat back and studied him. His shirt and undershirt were in tatters from where she'd cut them off, but his pants, underwear, and shoes could be cleaned. The older scars on his chest told her he was no banker, or if so, it was a recent vocation. His lean, muscular body was a good one, given his age. His genitals weren't spectacular, but she remembered the erection she'd engendered during the lap dance and smiled. It all depends on knowledge and experience, not endowment after all, she thought. She wet a washcloth and cleaned blood from his chest, arms, and hands. After putting his pants and briefs to soak in cold water, she washed and dried her own hands. Nivansky? He didn't move. She leaned down and tapped his cheeks. His eyes fluttered but didn't open. Nivansky, you need to help me again. We need to get you to your feet so I can put you in bed. It is not far another jerk of a nod, and she repeated how she'd gotten him into the flat. For all intents and purposes, he collapsed onto the bed, but she propped him up with her pillows and covered him with her blankets. Her hand lingered when she brushed his hair from his face. His mouth quirked in what might be more smile than grimace. Don't forget, he murmured. Married man. At least, she thought, He'll die with joke in hid. His breathing eased and slowed. His pulse was steady but weak. She longed to climb into bed beside him, but she knew what she had to do next. Irina got a bucket and a mop and went outside to eradicate the evidence of his presence. So when Dangerous Truths came out with the resolution to the cliffhanger from the first book, I still got messages along the lines of, how could you scare us like that? I'm a writer, it's what I do. I'm only doing one reading this week since I talked so much about C3 and Spy Ops. Next week's featured book will be the conclusion to the trilogy titled, And Justice for All. And finally, this weekend, I have a Saturday and Sunday off. So maybe I'll watch some more Spy Ops. Maybe I'll do some shopping or have lunch downtown. Either way, you know I'll be keeping an eye out for spies. The proceeding has been a production of Unexpected Paths Media. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Join us next week for a new episode of the Real Spies Real Lives podcast and, you know I'm going to say it, Slava Ukraini.